Welcome to Garden DC, the podcast about everything gardening in the Washington DC and Mid-Atlantic region. I'm your host, Kathy Gents. I'm the editor of Washington Gardener Magazine, and we're aimed at gardening enthusiasts, people who grow everything from edibles to ornamentals, natives to exotics. If it grows in our area, that's what we talk about. This week on the Garden DC podcast, we're joined by Hannah Beresford. She is the owner of a plant shop and horticultural therapy business, Botanigal. Welcome, Hannah. Hi, so happy to be here. I'm glad you could join us. So we're going to talk about you and your background today and then dive into all things horticultural therapy. But first, because we're recording this on the first day of autumn, I wanted to ask how you feel about the current weather and are you a summer or an autumn fan or neither? I, I'm going to say neither because autumn kind of makes me sad in a little way because all the plants are eventually going to get frosted and die. So spring is actually my favorite season. Um, all the new growth comes, the world is um, lighting up again. So I want to say spring's my favorite um season for sure. Hmm, That makes sense. And I think a lot of gardeners can relate to that, that fall is beautiful in its own way, but it can be kind of depressing. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Because it's the end of the season for, for a lot of things. So you are based out of Baltimore, Maryland. Is that correct? Yes. So um, currently my business operates out of Baltimore, Maryland, um, but I'll be opening up a retail space in Sykesville, Maryland soon, which is in Carroll County. And your current uh, space, where is that located? Uh, so I'm a vendor inside Farm Chicks Corner Market in Reisterstown, Maryland. So it's the suburbs of Baltimore. Uh, I guess it's like western Baltimore County. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just in Reisterstown a couple weeks ago on a garden tour with the Maryland Horticultural Society. So I know that place well. And yeah. it's a very picturesque little town. It is nice. It's a very nice place to basically where I jump started my business. Mm-hmm. And what type of products do you carry in that shop? So right now um, it's strictly house plants. Uh, so everything in the store has to be local. So I can't really carry, you know, things that aren't within 50 miles of the store. So right now I'm just limited to house plants because it's really hard to find local potters and People who make macrame um, with, you know, a price point that I could resell it for because the market takes a percentage of my sales as well. So right now I'm just doing houseplants at the market. Hmm, Interesting. So your business is also horticultural therapy and consulting Botanigal. Um, But let's dial back to how you got started in plant sales and horticultural therapy and maybe start way at the beginning um, where there was baby Hannah. Was she, <laughs> so was she grown with, uh, born with a green thumb? <laughs> baby Hannah definitely was born with a green thumb. Um, my mom was a game warden and we, I grew up in a state park. So I was surrounded by woods my entire life and my entire backyard growing up was a state park. 
So I was always outside. I've been in love with plants ever since I could remember. My dad, uh, very outdoorsy. You know, I grew up going to nature camp. So plants have always been a huge part of my life. It really kind of didn't take off and become like a passion until about high school. My first job was at a garden center down the street from my high school so I could walk there. And, you know, at first it was just a job, but it became so much more than that for me. I learned as much as I could. And I was able, like as a teenager, to give plant recommendations, fertilizer recommendations to these people who were coming in um, to the garden center. So it was just so empowering to me to be able to share my knowledge at such a young age with everybody. And I actually remember the day, the moment that I fell in love with plants. We were, um, I was walking through the garden center with my supervisor at the time, and there was this plant that was really um, chlorotic yellow, just not happy. And I asked her, I was like, oh, do you want me to throw this plant away? She's like, no, I'm going to fertilize it. It'll be fine. And I thought to myself, I was like, there's no way this plant's ever going to be fine again. It's terrible looking. But she fertilized it. And a couple weeks later, it was as green as could be. And you couldn't even tell that there was any um, deficiency. And I remember at that moment, I, I was amazed that you can manipulate a plant's environment to make it happy. And throughout my time in horticulture therapy, I've realized you can manipulate a person's environment with plants to make them happy. So I just remember that day as really the day that I fell in love with um, horticulture. Wow, it's kind of like magic. Kind of, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I felt looking at it. Mm -hmm. And so from high school, you went to college and got a, a horticultural degree or specifically horticultural therapy? So I got a horticulture degree from Penn State. Mm-hmm. Um, I picked the business option because I knew I wanted to uh, either manage a business or go into business uh, for myself. And I took, right out of college, I took a job at a cut flower farm, which was fun. I learned a lot. It, it was right down the street from my house, so it was convenient. But then um, one day I was scrolling through Indeed and I found Emerge. And I applied and they hired me, which I thought it was crazy because I was a year out of college taking this greenhouse management role and I couldn't believe it. I thought it was my dream job. So that's my next step. Um, And Emerge is a nonprofit that provides job training and residential services for adults with developmental disabilities. And the greenhouse was one of the work sites for these individuals. So I had 30 individuals that came every day to um, participate in the greenhouse program and then also the horticultural therapy program, which is what I actually brought to the organization. Um, Because during my time at Emerge, I got my horticulture therapy certificate. So by default, just because uh, greenhouses are therapeutic places, you can argue that there was always a horticulture therapy program there. But I um, went and got further education. So I actually knew how to create an actual horticulture therapy program at Emerge. Hmm. And can you describe the certificate program and that um, process? Yeah, sure. So I um, went through the Chicago Botanical Gardens, which who partnered with, um, man, oh, I'm totally blanking on the college that they partnered with. Um, It's a a community college in Chicago, um, Oakton Community College. So they had a year-long program 
most of it online. And then we came to Chicago Botanical Gardens twice to do on-site things. Um, and it was a great experience. The Chicago Botanical Gardens, if you've never been, is one of the most beautiful botanic gardens I've ever been to. Awesome. And the horticulture therapy program there is just so cool. Uh, so that's who I went through to get uh, my certificate. And I'm actually actively working on becoming a registered horticulture therapist, which is much more um, intensive. I actually have to have psychology credits, which, I'm, which I don't have, um, which I'm actually working on right now. Um, but the wonderful thing about horticulture therapy is you don't have to be registered to practice. The certificate um, is enough for me to call myself a horticulture therapist and actually have a program. And for those not familiar with horticultural therapy, uh, how would you define it? So I define it as the use of plants and plant-related activities to improve on a goal and to improve a person's overall health and well-being. The goal could be um, improve fine motor skills. Mm -hmm. So we would do a seed planting activity where you have to pick up these small seeds and plant them. Um, the, or, you know, improve gross motor skills where actually you're digging with a trowel and um, improving muscle tone. So you can have a wide range of goals. It could be a mental health goal, um, a physical health goal, or just generally improving your overall health and well-being um, because being around plants and green spaces is extremely beneficial to mental and physical health. Mm-hmm. And horticultural therapy programs seem fairly new that it's starting to be a more widespread practice. Do many schools offer that or hospitals or even um, therapy practices? So it is, it's new, but it's not new. Um, The actual first horticulture therapy program started in the 1940s um, at veteran hospitals, but it's definitely becoming more and more popular as the years go on. I mean, there's the American Horticulture Therapy Association now that started in the 70s. But yeah, there is, um, there's a lot of hospitals that use horticulture therapy. There's actually prisons that use horticulture therapy uh, as job training programs for their inmates. Then there's places like Emerge, nonprofits that will use horticulture therapy. So it can be used in a wide range of um, locations and schools. Hmm. Yeah, I'm familiar with some of the, the prison programs and those seem to be highly successful. Um, So it doesn't sound like horticultural therapy is specific to one age group or use. It sounds like there's, there's a lot of uses for it. Yeah. And that's, what's great. You can, it can be for any population, any age, you can tailor the activity or what you're doing to that age group and the ability of that group. Um, And it's just, it's basically just getting people involved with space, green spaces and green things, um, because studies have showed that people who are around green spaces, it, just being around the space improves mental health. And for the specific program at Emerge Greenhouse, were they growing to sell the plants or was it just to take care of them and have the experience? Both. Uh, we did sell the plants. We go to, and I say we because I'm still actively involved in Emerge, um, We grow the plants and we go to farmer's markets twice a week during the warm season. We also sell wholesale. So I have schools and churches and other organizations that buy from us every year. And then people can actually come to the greenhouse to buy plants. So it's, there is 
a vocational part where we're training for jobs and but there's also a therapeutic part where you know I'll do activities specifically for a goal or uh, to achieve something so it's both hmm. and what specific plants are you growing are you growing from seed or from cuttings so we do a little bit of everything uh, we do seed we do rooted cuttings I also we also have some semi-finished product that I buy in and my clients will finish it off. So poinsettias, I buy them in um, pre-finished is what it's called. And then they'll, we'll grow them for a couple months. And then we do seeds. We do a lot of veggies from seed and then plugs. We do a lot of our annuals and perennials from plug. Hmm. And so is there a specific plant that you think is the most successful for a type of program like that? You mentioned the poinsettia finishing process. So poinsettias are incredibly difficult to grow. (laughs) It is my least favorite crop to grow, and a lot of growers uh, will agree with me. It's just very temperamental. So I kind of cheat a little bit getting (laughs) pre-finished. But so I would say uh, annuals and vegetable plants are definitely my highest sellers. You know, early spring, people get so excited to do their gardens. So I would say um, vegetable plants from seed and then certain annuals from plug, like snapdragons, alyssum, stuff that's pretty inexpensive to get would be would be my picks for a starting starting out program. Hmm. And can you describe maybe an experience with uh, maybe some specific clients or students of how working uh, in the greenhouse might have changed them or helped them? Yeah. So, you know, at at Emerge, we have some clients that could, in their younger years or when they first came, they were, um, had a lot of mental health issues. Some of them were unfortunately violent at the time and they would come to the greenhouse program. And one, when you walk into my biggest greenhouse, it's always full of color. We keep it heated year round. We always have plants in there. And just to see the look on the new clients' faces when they walk into that greenhouse is, first, it's like unreal. I can't even describe how it makes me feel when I see them walk in through that door. But over time, I've seen people with mental health issues being able to get off their meds or decrease their meds. I've seen um, aggression and violence in these individuals decrease over time just because they were, they're one, coming to a beautiful place to work, but also the greenhouse gives them a sense of purpose and pride. So when they're planting these plants and watching them grow, and then they're going to the farmer's market to sell them and interacting with the public, and it just gives them so much pride and a sense of purpose. So it's, I've seen so many, I can't even tell you how many lives the greenhouse has changed and it's beautiful. And I love, I love the program and it really solidified that horticulture therapy can actually work. Hmm, that sounds wonderful and, and really satisfying and gratifying. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> That's why it was, uh, when I took the job, I was like, this is my dream job. <laughs> but I, I learned after eight years that my dream wasn't done yet. And that's why I started uh, Botanigal. Hmm. And how are you expanding things with Botanigal? So you have the plant shop, but what other services do you offer? 
so yeah so right now i have the plant shop located in um like it's like a farms market type store they're open wednesday through sunday and i do i did have a couple classes at the farm market but with botanical i want to expand my ability to serve other populations with horticulture therapy so with emerge I was only able to serve adults with developmental disabilities because that's who Emerge served. And I wanted to be able to serve other populations. So elderly, children, um, people with mental health issues. I wanted to be able to see how horticulture therapy could benefit other populations. So that's kind of why I started Botanigal. I felt like my job wasn't done with just this one population that I've been serving for the past eight years. It is a population that's so near and dear to my heart, and I will definitely continue serving that population. But I wanted to see how I could help others as well. Hmm. And I know that there are a lot of horticultural therapy programs at senior facilities and mm-hmm. for, for older. How did those differ from, say, the one that's at Emerge? So the ones at senior facilities they a lot of them are working towards memory retention and um, cognitive functioning so i there's a story i i heard from actually somebody who works in a senior facility there was a gentleman he before he started their like horticulture therapy program he had well he has uh, dementia so he would go to the horticulture therapy program. And one of the first activities they did was to go outside in their garden, pick some flowers and create an arrangement. And he had a lot of memory issues, but he remembered that he went and he picked those flowers the day before. And he actually asked to do it again, which was something that he, he couldn't even remember, you know, what, what he did the day before usually. But when he did this horticulture therapy activity, it brought him so much joy something in his brain was able to make him remember that. So I think they're the, the homes for like the elderly and stuff are really kind of gearing their activities uh, to ignite a lot of the senses, because in my opinion, smell is most closely linked to memory. So they use a lot of things that trigger smell. So lavender, cut flowers with a smell, um, herbs, herb drying activities, just stuff that uh, can get that nose going and because I think it definitely is linked to memory. Hmm, that's so true that, you know, a scent can bring back a specific time in your life or a specific experience. So that's, that's a big part of it. And not just, I think, the scent of the plants, but maybe even the scent of the soil mm-hmm. and working in it and maybe even the, the surroundings. Yeah, and there's another, it's funny you mentioned soil. There's actually a bacterium in the soil called um, Mycobacterium vaciae. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. But it initiates the release of serotonin in the body, which then in turn can help alleviate anxiety and depression. So just by working with soil, you know, you could have, be, be exposed to this bacterium that's just improving your mental health because it's increasing serotonin which is just amazing to me. Like it was, there was a study in 2007 that actually found this bacterium in the soil. Mm -hmm. It's like mother nature is infiltrating your brain and she's (laughs) kind of brainwashing you like, yes, you will love gardening. (laughs) Yes. You must love gardening. It's, um, it's interesting because horticulture therapy is actually based 
off of the biophilia principle. And that means that uh, we have an innate, as humans, draw towards nature. We want to be in natural green spaces. So it only makes sense that horticulture therapy works. And I was going to say that a lot of times people who are in um, facilities or in hospitals or prisons or that sort of thing, they're cut off from the outside world. So this might be their only real exposure to, you know, to the soil, to the natural elements. Right. Yeah. You know, they're they're living in a space that isn't green and just even having these little doses of green or, you know, putting cut flowers in your window or even viewing a tree out your window is beneficial. So I, I, I think definitely people don't realize the impact that green spaces have on them. I think this past year plus of like the COVID pandemic, when people were shut in in their apartments and other small spaces or offices, that really came home to a lot of people that you can't be 24 seven shut off from the natural world. You, you just have to get out there at some point. Yep. And I think that's why houseplants really exploded too um, during COVID. Houseplant mm-hmm. sales are through the roof. Mm-hmm. People wanted to, they wanted something to do during the pandemic. So they wanted to go find a new plant because garden centers and things were still open. Home Depot was still open. So they, it was what they could do for themselves during the pandemic. So I think houseplants really helped a lot of people through COVID and they, it still is. Um, it's a hobby. A lot of people have now have this houseplant collecting hobby and, um, you know, people just tell me how much happiness their houseplants bring them and which in turn makes me happy when they tell me that. So Hmm. it's great. I think the other thing, the silver lining in the pandemic and the quarantine was the gift of time so that, you know, you might've loved plants before and might've loved houseplants, but you just didn't have the time to be home and attending to them and not traveling so much. So that's probably another factor in there why houseplants are still having such big popularity. Yeah. And I hope it continues because mm-hmm. I'll be selling a lot of houseplants at my new store. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think once people have been converted to be plant parents, you know, they're not going to give it up at this point. Right. Yep. Once you're a plant parent, you can't go back. <laughs> Coming from, I, I have a collection of personal houseplants mm-hmm. and uh, I couldn't, I could never see myself not having them. And that was the next thing I was going to ask you, Hannah, is what are your favorite plants? Do you like succulents mm-hmm. or are you more into orchids? What, what types of plants do you grow? So my favorite genus is Hoya. Uh, Hoyas are my favorite. And uh, my second favorite are Serapegia, so like string of hearts, mm. string of needles, string of arrows. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely Hoyas. Hoyas are what I collect most of. I probably have 50 different species of Hoya uh, in my personal collection. Growing up, my mom had this beautiful Hoya compacta, which is um, a rope Hoya. It's the Hoya with the curly leaves in my window. And I think that definitely influenced why Hoyas are my favorite. Uh, just because I, she always had this beautiful Hoya in her window when I was a kid. It would bloom these beautiful pink blooms. And it's interesting that a lot of my childhood memories are actually focused around plants. <laughs> um, but so definitely those two, Hoya and Serapegia, are my favorite plants. Hmm. Yeah, I always thought Hoyas were so funny because the little 
uh, inflorescence, the flower group together looks like an upside down plastic umbrella almost. Oh my gosh, it does. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember when I was little, my mom had a hanging pot with Hoya with just covered in blooms. And mm -hmm. I would, I used to think that she was adding the blooms on like, you know, <laughs> because they were so plasticky and kind of yeah, they have this yeah. almost vinyl feel to them that I didn't think that they came from the same plant. Yep. They're, and they're called wax plant. Mm -hmm. um, I think because the flowers just have that waxy fake plastic appearance. Mm -hmm. um, but some of them smell heavenly. And it's really funny that you actually have a, a Hoya memory mm -hmm. too. <laughs> yeah. It must have been like popular around the same time. But of course now super popular again. But yeah, definitely not 50 different varieties. So that's quite the collection. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have any outdoor growing space that you garden in? Yeah, I do. So I am um, fortunate enough to live on seven acres. Um, most of that is taken up by pasture land for my horse, but I do have a garden. I do have some garden beds. Um, we, we moved three years ago to this house, so um, the, the garden is nowhere where I want it. You know, I'm still adding to it every year. Um, but I have a wonderful peony collection that I've been planting and adding to over the last three years. And I would say that's my favorite outdoor plant, again, um, because of a childhood memory. Um, growing up in Seneca Creek State Park in Montgomery County, they had this uh, peony field that they, I think they trans, I don't, I think they transport it from this old property and mm -hmm. it's like from colonial i don't even i don't even know the history yeah. really I, i'm very familiar with that one so that was really? a plant collector in gaithersburg maryland and his family when they sold the property which is now where um the town of gaithersburg kind of town hall um property is when they sold that home and property to the city they moved that peony collection to that clearing at seneca state park okay um, so that's why it's all together a lot of it is not labeled and yes, <laughs> a lot not. and a lot of it is really interesting because they have like a cultivated area and then kind mm -hmm. of like a open field area of those peonies but yeah i share your love of peonies and that's one of my favorite ones uh to go visit in about mid-may or so when they're when they're just starting to bloom is that that schwartz peony collection yeah, so that's it. I'm so happy that you knew all of that because I knew the story, but I didn't know the story. So the, that park is wh where I grew up, and I could walk to that peony field from my house, but I frequently rode my horse um, to the peony field. And I would just remember riding through the peony field with them in full bloom, and it's just like what an awesome place to grow up. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, my love of peonies is definitely from that collection. Nice. And the great thing about peonies is that park has a lot of deer predation, you know, a big mm -hmm. deer population. And speaking of your horse as well, I don't think horses like peonies and I don't think deer do either. Yeah, no, my horses have never nibbled on them and they have <laughs> access to some of them. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, they haven't ever bugged them. It's the powdery mildew that gets them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, the quick decline in, in late uh, summer or you know early autumn is now and they're not looking so beautiful but right. still a wonderful wonderful flower um so speaking of your horse and horticultural therapy do you ever um cross over into the equine therapy world so i did a little bit of volunteering in equine therapy when i was um at penn state 
and I, I love it. I think it's great. Um, it is amazing to see like people's smiles when they're riding on the back of a horse. I personally haven't. Um, I, I'm a horse person. I know horses. I know my horse, but I feel like it's a whole nother ball game to learn equine therapy. And, um, you know, I did think about going into equine therapy a little bit in college, but I always got pulled right back into plants, but it's, it's great. It's extremely beneficial. I've seen some amazing programs and, um, just being around horses is the same with plants. They say the outside of a horse is good for the inside of a man. And, uh, it's definitely true. My spirits improve whenever I'm around my horse. Hmm. I like that saying. So horticultural therapy, the, the call it garden healing. If you were just a home gardener, you know, in your own garden, how would you set up kind of a horticultural therapy program for yourself? Like to heal yourself if you had gone mm-hmm. through some trauma or some, um, uh, life event that you needed a little healing from. Sure. I would, it doesn't have to be a big space, which is great. And even if you don't have any in-ground space, that's fine. I would definitely create a lot of planters with color and plants that smell good. Um, so, you know, when the breeze blows, you can get that, that beautiful smell. Um, I would set up a water feature too. So like, say you're living in the city, a water feature, it like really drowns out the outside noise. I unfortunately, my property is like right on the road and it's loud, but I have like three water features in my backyard, which help drown out that space, uh, that noise. So I don't think you need to make the space for your healing garden big. You just need a place where you can escape, have a little bench, have that water feature, have some planters. And also it's important to plant things that you can interact with. So herbs that you can pick. Um, so you're actually or tomato plants, you know, and I like to actually incorporate tomato plants in planters too, like plant some flowers around the base. Um, so you're interacting with your space. I think that's most important um, because there's both passive, passive and active horticulture therapy, and they're both very beneficial, but you want to have elements of both in your healing garden. And um, also it's important to not make your garden so big that you feel overwhelmed or that it's a chore to take care of it. Um, I know a lot of houseplant collectors, they've, their collections get so big and they start feeling guilty when plants die because they don't have the time to take care of it. So when you're building your healing garden or whatever green space you want, keep that in mind, keep it in mind, like not to make it too big. So it becomes a chore. You just want to relax in space that you can just passively or actively enjoy. Hmm, That's a good point that you obviously don't want it to be another stressor when it's supposed to be your source of stress relief. Right. And so you gave a talk recently to the Cultivate show, which is a big American Hort show in Ohio that takes place every July. And the title of your talk was, when did my plant become a therapist? (laughs) (laughs) So can you talk about that title and what you presented there? Yeah. So I, um, kind of gave a history of horticulture therapy. Well, first I gave my background and then the history of horticulture therapy, what populations it can be used for, where it can be used, successful horticulture therapy businesses that are out there, the benefits of horticulture therapy. I talked about the difference between passive and active horticulture therapy, 
And then I went on to talk about Emerge and then Botanigal. So I kind of wanted, I I've had a really hard time picking a title, but I wanted something like funny and witty that people would see and like, oh, let's go to this talk. Like, when did my plant become a therapist? Because it's funny, people don't realize that just buying a plant or being around a plant, you're being horticulture therapized. <laughs> um, so I just kind of wanted to share what could be horticulture therapy, which is really anything as long as plants are involved, and how it's um, implemented in a professional way as well. Hmm. And you talked about some active horticultural therapy. Can you give some examples of passive? Yeah. So um, just sitting in a garden is passive horticulture therapy. So you're not physically interacting with your environment. Uh, Going on a hike is, I would consider, passive horticulture therapy because you're not like digging in the dirt. You're not getting your hands dirty, but you're still reaping the benefits of plants. And I was looking at some of the different types of horticultural therapy gardens there are. So we talked a little bit about healing gardens. Uh, but there's also uh, enabling garden, rehabilitation gardens, and restorative gardens. C- can mm-hmm. you talk about the differences between those? Yeah, so enabling gardens are uh, Bueller Enabling Garden in, at the Chicago Botanical Gardens is a garden that is accessible to anybody. So people in wheelchairs it's a nice flat space so people in walkers can get through it. It's, it's enabling the person to be able to do what other people can do while gardening. Um, and I'm sorry, I already forgot what the other oh, ones were. restorative <laughs> was one of the others, and I think it might have been rehabilitation gardens. Okay. Um, so I would really, these terms can be anything you really want them to be. So restorative gardens... I would kind of think is more passive um, horticulture therapy spaces. So places that aren't intending for you to manipulate the plant environment at all, but just for you to, you know, enjoy. And then rehabilitative gardens, in my uh, experience, those are at rehab facilities where there might be um, different activities amongst the garden to improve physical health. So after surgery, there might be, you know, some stairs that you have to climb, but it's also surrounded by a nice, beautiful green space. So in my eyes, that's more of like a um, rehabilitative garden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think there, there's kind of similar, similarly named or themed gardens under restorative and reha- rehabilitative gardens. Like med- some people will say a meditation garden mm-hmm. or a contemplation garden or a sensory garden. And then other words we might use might be like sanctuary or refuge type garden. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's like a hospice garden, which is specifically for somebody to memorialize somebody. Yes. Yep. And of those types of gardens, I was going to say that, um, you know, most public gardens offer at least a few of these style. So if you don't have your own home garden space or access to that or, you know, the time to, to set up a garden like that, almost every public garden, as you mentioned, the Chicago Botanic Garden, but even here locally in the greater D.C. area offers at least a few of these type. Yeah. Yep. Um, They're definitely um, available. Mm -hmm. And even, I mean, walking around the, the Botanic Gardens in DC, you know, 
these each of those gardens are very important and have a specific purpose. But in my mind as well, I don't really care what they're called. I just want to go to a garden. I want to go to this space and interact it however interact with it however I see fit for myself. So, you know, I might be fully able to work in a, a normal garden, but I might also benefit from visiting enabling garden too. So it's like I don't want certain populations to shy away from these different gardens based on their name. So Mm -hmm. if there's like a healing garden and their mental health is perfectly fine, I don't want them to like shy away from visiting because they can still benefit if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great point. So I think some people, if they saw a meditation garden, uh, you know, as an example, and they're like, well, I'm not going to go there to meditate, but you can certainly visit that garden and still experience it at a different level, even if you're not going to sit there in quiet meditation in the garden. Exactly. And one of the other examples I was going to give locally is um, you mentioned the U.S. Botanic Garden has, has a great space. And there are several labyrinth gardens in the D.C. area that you can visit and kind of walk the labyrinth if you want to. Or you can just sit and experience other people, you know, walking the labyrinth. Um, or, you know, sit in a sensory garden and just passively experience that or actively if you want to. Um, but I'm glad you also mentioned the Chicago Botanic Gardens enabling garden. I have only visited there once. I definitely want to get back to it, but that was so eye opening. And, you know, somebody, um, who it doesn't, you know, necessarily need a raised bed at this point in my life. I can see, you know, in 20 years that this would be a great option as you might be slowing down in the garden. And they had so many great little tricks and Mm -hmm. tips for somebody who um, might not be fully active or they would have like a wall of plants, you know, in pots so you can access all of them. They have so many great um, solutions there. Yeah, one of my favorite elements in that garden is uh, hanging baskets that you could actually lower. Mm. It's on a pulley system. Yeah. And I thought that was really cool. <laughs> I remember that. And I was thinking, all of us can use that. All of us, uh, you know, could use a pulley system to, to lower, to water hanging plants, and then to get them back up to their height. Because, you know, all of us have that issue of trying to reach up into there and water it and then have that water cascading down. So, um, being able to, to lower and heighten those is, is a great solution. So um, from the Chicago Botanic Garden, are there any other examples that you think people could use in everyday life from that garden? Well, they have this thing called the sensory cart, uh, which I thought was really, really cool. They went out and picked different things from the garden and put them all in this cart. So, you know, a homeowner or they could go pick different things from their garden and kind of combine them in one space so they can enjoy them in one area. So on this cart was like herbs and things that smell good, things that feel good. So I think that would be fun for somebody who has a kid to go out, collect these things from the garden and then have them, you know, maybe on your patio or somewhere that you can um, enjoy them all in the same area. I thought that was really cool. I like the sensory cart idea. Um, lots of raised beds, which, you know, they're Mm -hmm. pretty easy to make, but also it takes planning and construction to build, um, a raised bed. So it might not be feasible for all homeowners, but definitely just planters. I'm a big planter fan. (laughs) I've always enjoyed making different planters for sun, for shade. 
Um, I switch out my planters three times a year. I have my early spring, my summer, and then my fall planters. And it's just a way for me to really add color to my space. And the Bueller Enabling Garden has a lot of different planters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and all that color and seasonality in those big containers. To, mm-hmm. They're kind of at eye height, you know, and uh, you can experience them up close. Yeah. And you're allowed to touch things. I was going to say that's another big point of that garden. Um, so a lot of public gardens, they might have a sensory garden specifically where you can interact, say, with like lamb's ear, which has like a nice fuzzy texture or another plant that has a cool texture to it. But not always encouraged, um, of course, in other gardens to, to touch and pick things. Yeah. Yep. You, you're kind of free to do whatever you want and use the garden however you see it's going to benefit you. Um, we actually did an activity with some adults with developmental disabilities during our time um, to get my certificate. And it was just so much fun to see them interact with the garden and how they interacted with things and how they used things and what fascinated them and what they didn't think was cool. It was just really cool to see them. They, it felt like they were in their natural element, um, just watching them interact at the garden. Yeah, and I'm, I think I categorize myself as a tactile learner more even than visual and auditory. And that's one of the things I love in my garden is like touching the grass blades from ornamental grasses. And I would say the number one thing for tactile engagement in the garden is seed Mm -hmm. heads. Like this time of year, especially when the seed heads are forming and you can open them up, say like on the blackberry lily or um, nigella seed head. That's another cool one that you can pick the seed head off and open it and spill out the seeds. That's always fun. Yeah, and actually one of my favorite things in the garden is um, when impatients go to seed to pop the impatient seed pods open and they like spring everywhere. (laughs) I cannot walk past an impatient Mm -hmm. with a seed pod and not squeeze it. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there are some weeds that do that too, that just like pop everywhere when you brush past them, but it's fun to do that with, with things that you want to purposely reseed to. And of course the milkweed pods, that's another big fun one to, to break open and spread the, you know, those little white fluffy cottony puffs around. Um, Just like when, you know, you're little and you would blow on the dandelion heads and, you know, somebody in horror would be like, Mm -hmm. you're spreading the weed seeds, but you're like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm spreading the weed seeds. (laughs) (laughs) So those are fun and interactive. Um, Any other tactile plant parts that you interact with in horticultural therapy? Um, Virginia pig squeak. I really love incorporating that into gardens because when you rub it together, it sounds like there's a pig squeaking and kids think that is hilarious. (laughs) Um, Mm. So that's really fun. Of course, like lamb's ear, Dusty Miller, mm-hmm. anything with fuzz on it. Mm-hmm. I think celosia is a fun oh, one too. Yeah. I was going to say the celosia flower because that has kind of that plume, that flame flower plume or that mm-hmm. brainy texture. So those are always fun ones to touch. Yep, for sure. And people think it's cool that it looks like a brain. Mm-hmm. And like fountain grass, any like soft grass, it's not going to cut you up when you're running your hands through it. Um, I really mm-hmm. like to have those in the garden. I'm trying to think what's at the garden um, at Emerge right now. And there's also, you know, like the pink muley grass and bunny grass have a nice texture mm-hmm. to them uh, for running your hands through. 
And also, I, I like to plant a lot of herbs, you know, because like when you're when you brush up against basil, you smell like basil for the rest of the day. So I really like to incorporate a lot of herbs in um, even into my flower beds at Emerge because it just kind of gives that extra little um, sensation for the, the people working in the garden. Mm hmm. Yeah, and things like creeping thyme or rosemary, where you can just step on the herb and release that scent mm -hmm. is always a nice experience as well. So, Hannah, how can people contact you, aside from visiting your store location, um, if they want to follow up with any questions or to ask you about your services? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, they could email me at botanigal. It's um, B... O-T-A-N-I-G-A-L at yahoo.com. Or I have a website. It's botanigalplants.com. And there's a little form on my website that they could fill out. They could also um, call or text me on my business line, which is the number. I just got this line. So please forgive me. I have to look up my number. Um, it's 443-300-7733. And that comes right to my phone. Um, call or text. And I also have Instagram at Botanigal and then my Facebook page, which is uh, at Botanigal Plants. So anyway, they feel comfortable reaching out. You know, sometimes I'm introverted and I don't like to call. Um, mm -hmm. So texting's great. <laughs> so it's really nice that I have that um, feature because I know sometimes I prefer to text. <laughs> um, so yeah, any of those ways they could reach out and I'd be happy to talk to them. Great. Well, thank you, Hannah, for offering all those different options. Yeah, I know some people, it, it's a little bit easier, especially for first contact, um, to reach out with a direct message on social media or with a text to start the conversation off. Yes. And so any final thoughts on horticultural therapy or maybe if somebody was thinking about changing or going into that career? So it, it was interesting. Um, at my talk at Cultivate, somebody came up to me and he actually uh, my talk after hearing my talk, he wanted to get his master's in horticulture therapy. And that was like the greatest compliment I think I've ever received professionally. So if you're thinking about it, do it because it's only become going to become more popular. And it's just amazing being able to help people through plants, you know, plant, I've always been in love with plants and being able to implement the use of plants and plants to improve somebody's overall health and well-being has been amazing. And I just love talking to people. I love sharing with what I know. And it's just really empowering. And I really feel like this is, honestly is my purpose in life and why I was put on this earth. So if you feel half as good as I do doing this, it's totally worth it. And um, unfortunately, the program that I did with the Chicago Botanical Gardens, they discontinued it. So uh, if they want to reach out to me, I could give them a list, email them a list of other programs, and I would be happy to help in any way I can to get people educated on horticulture therapy. Excellent. Well, thank you, Hannah, for sharing your passion. And if anybody is thinking about the horticultural therapy occupation as something they want to pursue, definitely get in touch with Hannah. I'm sure we will need you in the future. And uh, there will be no shortage of programs available for horticultural therapy to expand into. Yeah. And um, 
I really appreciate you letting me come on here today and share my story and share my love of horticulture therapy and get the word out. It's, it's important that more and more people know about this uh, wonderful practice. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Castor bean plant profile. Castor bean plant... Ricinus communis is also known as the castor oil plant. This exotic looking member of the spurge family is native to East Africa and is not in fact a bean at all. This annual plant is grown for its tropical looks and drama in the garden. It can reach heights of 10 feet or more in a single growing season. The plant is then killed when temperatures dip below freezing. It prefers full sun and rich, moist, but well-drained soil. It blooms in late summer and then forms spiky seed pods. To plant them, direct sow the seeds in warm soil about two weeks after the last frost in spring. Give it plenty of water and fertilizer. If you want to limit its size, it can be pruned back. Warning, the seeds are extremely poisonous. It can self-sow about, but the seedlings are easy to identify and pull if you do not want them, or you could cut the seed pods off before they disperse. Wear gloves when handling any part of this plant as the foliage can cause skin irritation. Note that all parts of the plant are toxic if ingested. The plant is cultivated for medicinal uses and is prized by beekeepers. In addition to the bountiful pollen the flowers produce, there are extra nectaries along the stems and leaf stalks. Popular cultivars include the dark-leaved New Zealand Purple, Carmencita Rose with blue-green foliage and peachy seed pods, and Red Spire, which has red stems and seed pods with bronze leaves. This week in the garden, I'm enjoying the cooler temps and the beautiful purple blooms on the New York Aster plants I have around my home garden. Over at the community garden plot, we planted some more seeds of cool season crops. We're giving a, a chance to some Scarlet Nantes carrots, some creamsicle carrots, and some little finger carrots, along with white bunching onions. It might be a little late for planting them, but we're gonna take the chance that they can still come up or that we can overwinter them and enjoy them in early springtime. In local gardening events, we are looking forward to the Fona bulb sale Saturday, October 2nd at the National Arboretum in Washington, DC. There's also the Northern Alexandria native plant sale that same day, Saturday, October 2nd, over in Alexandria, of course. And 
I am giving a talk for Homestead Gardens on Friday, October 8th at 7 p.m. And this is happening virtually via Zoom. And I invite you to join me for that. It is free to anybody who wants to sign up at homesteadgardens.com. Just click on the upcoming events tab. And that talk is on forced bulbs for beautiful arrangements and gifts. So we're going to talk about not only traditional paper whites and amaryllis forcing, but also forcing of spring blooming bulbs. So check out that. And if you don't have enough of bulbs, the next weekend, Saturday, Sunday, October 9th and 10th, Harvesting History's bulb sale is taking place in New Freedom, Pennsylvania. And rounding out the next couple weeks, Saturday, October 9th at 10 a.m., I'm speaking on dealing with deer and other garden mammal pests in your garden. That's going to be for Brookside Gardens online, and you can register for that at a nominal fee at the Active Montgomery website. Happy gardening! Thank you for listening to Garden DC. You can become a listener supporter for as little as 99 cents a month by going to anchor.fm slash garden DC slash support. Another way to support this podcast is to subscribe to our monthly digital publication, Washington Gardener Magazine. To do so, go to washingtongardener.com. Thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You can find Washington Gardener online at WashingtonGardener.com, on Twitter at WDC Gardener, on Instagram at WDC Gardener, and on Facebook.com at Washington Gardener Magazine.